As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Now, uh, we're doing First Peter, and uh, just to give us a background again, a good reminder is that Peter's main emphasis uh, is talking to people who are going through persecution, suffering, uh, not suffering for any bad activities, not anything that they deserved suffering, but they were suffering despite their good conduct. And so Peter was encouraging them to persevere and uh, very important uh, emphasis. And uh, these are days in which there are different forms of suffering. And also uh, added to that is the suffering that is caused by the pandemic and uh, all the things that are happening around us. And uh, we are forced sometimes to become people who are uh, uh, isolated, you know, people who do not get engaged uh, in the world. And Peter's emphasis is that despite the suffering that we go through, we cannot stop, we cannot uh, be pushed to a corner and become immobile. And uh, he basically is talking about being engaged, being visible, being uh, you know consistent with our vision i read a quote this morning which said um, ships in the harbor are uh, you know are safe when you know but that's not where they're supposed to be they're supposed to be moving and i think we will be very safe if we are not mobile but peter's emphasis is that in spite of all the suffering and especially the persecution the church was going through, they had to be visible in their engagement in the world. And Peter talked about not just visibility, but also ensuring that uh, they behaved in a way that brought glory to God. And, uh, and he talked about structures which God has put in place, the structure of the state, the government, rulers, as he said in chapter 2, verse 13, following human authority. And then he talked about authority in the workplace. And today we're going to a passage, perhaps not as controversial as people make it. It's in chapter 3 of uh, First Peter and verses 1 to verse 7. And it's about the structure at home. Now, uh, definitely... Uh, very important in the New Testament is that uh, not only New Testament, even in the Old Testament, is the fact that when God gets engaged in a community, he puts in place a structure. Uh, right in the Old Testament, when he engaged with uh, Abraham and called him to be a nation, and he said, uh, you will be a blessing, uh, he made sure that Abraham knew his role, and he tells him in chapter 18 of Genesis, 
that he has to bring up his children in the ways of what is right and just. And uh, so very clearly, Abraham had a role in which that he has to bring up, he has to be the person who will influence the values of his home. And uh, so God clearly put a structure in place and a role. And we may not like that structure. Nobody likes a structure, but a structure is very helpful uh, to uh, actually arrive at place, you know, to arrive at a place where both God and we would like to be. You know, it's very important to understand a structure is not something that is bad, but very often, you know, it becomes bad because of the kind of people in it. And so God puts a structure in place and right at the beginning with the calling of Abraham and then afterwards when Moses went and brought the people out of Egypt and again the first task he had to do was to give them a law and then put in place a structure you know how the community will move who will be the leaders and the role of leaders and things like that and over the years what has happened is the clear uh, biblical understanding is that despite God taking care to put structures in place, the people who were in those positions did not do what God wanted them to do. And uh, unfortunately, that is the ev clear evidence in the book of the prophets, where the prophets constantly uh, called the kings to repent, called the nation to repent. And they very specifically addressed people in positions of leadership. The kings, the priests, all of them were addressed as people who were causing the problem that prevented the people from worshipping God. So the, it is not uh, important that we always have an anti-structure uh, attitude because structures are not God, are not bad. And that is what we find in the scripture that structures are very important and many times, and that's why the scripture says, every human authority uh, has been put in place by God, has been put in place by God. And uh, so today we go into the structure of the home. Now, very, very important to understand the context of First Peter, because let me read the passage first. Chapter three, verse one onwards, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, and bearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives 
and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, the reason I said it is not a difficult passage is when you understand the context that Peter is basically addressing. But it becomes difficult when there are certain words, especially the word submit, which uh, we don't have a problem uh, with that word when it comes to submitting to God. The word is used in the scripture for submission to God also, submit yourselves to God. But when it comes to fellow human beings, we definitely don't like the word submit. And definitely when it comes to a family and the context of marriage, it's not a word which is appreciated. And uh, now the reason is basically because we read into that word what is not said in the word. Now, perhaps the vocabulary that we have is very limited when it comes to translating the original. Now, the original is not very different in the sense it is, as I said, a word which is used largely in the military or in the army context in the, in the Greek language. It is falling in line. You know, so word submit is used basically when you fall in line to the commander, the person who is giving the instructions. Now, here it comes in the context. Let me tell you what was the context. Now, it's very different from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 also has a lot to say about marriage, Colossians has. But here, Peter is talking about the context where women were married to men who had no, uh, not only no commitment to God, but who also did not believe the word. So it would have been that in the very early Christian faith, that many women from other faiths came to know Christ. And uh, so it was not that the women had married into, family, you know, married men who had no knowledge of God, but they were already in that kind of uh, situation. And many of them had come to know Jesus Christ. Now they were having a problem because they were not in the same page as their husbands. And it says here, that their husbands did not believe the word. Now that was basically what it was. Perhaps they did not come with them to the gathering of uh, the church or they came there but did not believe what was being spoken. Now that is the context in which Peter was writing. So wives who were living in homes where the husband was not in the, on the same page as them as far as faith was concerned. And so the question was, how do you deal with an unbelieving husband? Now, this was not a unique problem only to the group that Peter was writing. It was a problem even into the groups that Paul was writing. In 1 Corinthians, he has a long uh, discussion about women who were married to unbelieving husbands. And he tells them not to leave their unbelieving husbands because that was the beginning years of the church when many families had come to know Christ. And in the context of families, you notice that uh, in perhaps when, when a husband came to Christ or the man of the house or the, or the father came to Christ, it looks as though the whole family 
also moved into a relationship with Christ because you have uh, Peter addressing people saying, you know, you and your own household, you have the jailer in Philippi who comes to know Christ and he and his family were baptized. But it was not the same when wives came to Christ. And so many families, the wife or maybe the wife and some children or all the children were followers of Christ, but the husband was not. So that was the context. So that was much more difficult uh, to give a teaching of submission because the women would have had a problem as to should we actually you know, listen to our husbands and should we listen to our husbands, especially because they don't believe in the word. They are not those who are shaped by the word. How should they be, believe? Now, it is not an approval that women or men can married to some, can get married to somebody who's not a believer. Because in Corinthians letter, Paul writes and says, you know, when a woman loses her husband and she has become a widow, he tells them to get married, you know, again. And when he says, but only get married to a believer. Now that's a biblical teaching. The reason is that marriage is not, is more than just liking a person but also being on the same page. And if you are on the same page, as far as your belief is concerned, the rest of the things can fall in place. I find it always difficult when Selena and I have to counsel couples. And, uh, and when we find that they are not on the same page, as far as their belief is concerned. I remember counseling a couple, I think they were from Manipur, I'm not sure. And uh, the boy came from a different background and the girl came from a very strong Christian framework. And uh, when, uh, you know, it was something in which I think the boy was having an affair uh, outside his marriage. And uh, he was actually, you know, for the girl, she saw it as an affair. But for him, it was not wrong at all because he said, he said, it, you know, he couldn't understand why she was making a fuss and why we were making a strong stand on it because she, she said he was planning to get married to the other girl also because in their context, they were allowed to marry more than once. And the girl, of course, coming from a strong Christian background, at least the ethical framework, she couldn't understand. She could not accept the fact that he wanted to have two relationships simultaneously. He was not planning to reject the first. He was planning to get married to the other one also. And he then I had to take him because I couldn't understand why he was not open to the possibility of not marrying. And so we had a long chat and I realized he had never ever, uh, you know, heard about the importance of uh, even as a Christian, he was a Christian by now, but not a Christian. I don't know how, what do you mean by Christian? Because his framework was definitely not Christian. And he did not know that the Christian faith was very strong on, uh, you know, marriage to one person. And we had a long chat about it. And finally, you know, we prayed together. And afterwards, we had a, a, a lot of um, interaction. And finally, uh, you know, I understood, you know, now they're very, very happily married. He had to make a big shift because he couldn't understand the biblical framework. And many people get into marriage, uh, you know, with the very fact 
they fall in love and they have the framework of the world but god has a lot to say about marriage and uh, and here what was happening is these new christians who had come were finding it so difficult very finding it very difficult whether you know how do they live in a context where the other partner the spouse was not a follower of christ now it's it's difficult even when the spouse is a believer but imagine when the spouse is not a believer and there are a lot of attitude problems because the woman definitely would have felt that she is more spiritual and she knows god and the husband is not at the same level and uh, so naturally whether she should listen to him or not and it is in that context uh, peter writes and says in the same way like you have done in the case of the state in the case of uh, slaves and masters in the same way and it's the say you know the word in the same way is used again in chapter verse 7 husbands in the same way so the context of submission is not very specifically only related to these structures but there is an attitude in which we submit to each other and paul actually puts it so well when he writes in ephesians uh, when he talks about submission in chapter 4 of uh, ephesians when he talks about the coming of being filled with the holy spirit he says in chapter in you know, a sorry chapter 5 he says in verse 18 do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit speak to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the lord always giving thanks to god for the the father for everything in the name of our lord jesus christ submit to one another out of reverence and paul would say that being filled in the holy spirit has got certain characteristics speaking to one another and then singing and making music with your heart from your heart giving thanks to god and then he says submitting to one another actually the the in the original it is not submit it is submitting to one another so there are four participles which are used there to define being filled with the holy spirit speaking singing giving thanks submitting to one another a spirit filled person is not resistant to submitting to one another and it's not simply only state and people and even masters paul would say in the same way in the same way i think it's again in the same passage in ephesians when he talks about slaves and masters and he would say that in the same way obey you know he says husband and slaves obey your masters and then he says uh, in verse 9 in uh, ephesians chapter 6 treat your slaves in the same way and so because we all have made a decision to submit to god submission to god makes it easier for us to submit to one another and so he says wives in the same way understanding that god has got a structure in place 
for society to run smoothly, to workplace to run smoothly, for homes to run smoothly. You know, homes to run smoothly, there has to be a structure in place. And he says, how does that function? Because when you have a husband who is not committed to the word, who does not believe in the word, you know, you want to win them over, you know, and in a home, we want to influence each other. We want to influence each other, definitely, because all of us, you know, when we come into marriage, we come from different backgrounds. There's a young couple whom auntie and I, Selena and I are trying to, you know, are involved in counseling now. And they come from, you know, totally different, you know, they're from the same language group, same ethnic community, but one grew up in Delhi and one grew up in Chennai. They're from Tamil Nadu. And man, the clash of values. The girl grew up in Delhi, the boy grew up in Chennai. And uh, he can't understand why she makes a big fuss about him being so concerned about his family in Chennai. Whereas she says, I'm not like that. You know, he makes long calls to his mother and uh, talks for hours together and doesn't have time to talk to me for a few minutes and all sorts of things. And uh, listening to it, we know that we all bring baggages into marriage. And, uh, and so when your husband or your wife, you know, has, don't, doesn't even know Christ, it's very hard to deal with that baggage. And so how do we, but we are here in a marriage to eventually, you know, come to the same page and we need to influence each other. And uh, in a brilliant book on mentoring, uh, I think it is the former World Vision, Ted Engstrom, he talks about mentoring of spouses, husbands mentoring wives and wives mentoring husbands. And uh, because in the marriage context, there's a lot of discipling taking place, a lot of influence taking place. And here, the whole issue is how do you influence your husband who does not believe in the word of God? And that is basically what Peter is talking about. And Peter says, the best way to influence is to do it through your behavior. Because he says, you want to win them over but don't do it through words, without words, by the behavior of their wives. Now, this is a very important aspect, why submission seems to be emphasized so often. And maybe we should have a discussion or a seminar on marriage some other time. But it's very interesting, in the New Testament teaching, the Bible doesn't say, wives love your husband. Uh, it is taken for granted, perhaps, wives do love up their husbands, but the problem is that love, their love sometimes find it very hard to submit. And uh, the whole issue is husbands, on the other hand, are told so many times to love their wives because they can be caught up in their work, they can be caught up in hundred other things. And so when it comes to marriage here, it says, wives, you know, you want to win your husband over, but don't think you're going to win your husband over with long discussions and arguments. It's never going to happen. In fact, you are going to make him more hard and more, uh, you know, close to reasoning. Because, you know, many times I have seen, you know, in many homes, you know, the long lectures, 
that the wife would want to give to the husband. And they think that by convincing arguments, they are going to win over. And for Peter's argument is that, you know, if you're going interested in winning them over, if you want to influence them, you're starting in the wrong way. If you think your words are going to convince people, you know, your words are not going to convince. It's not to say that husbands, you know, cannot be influenced by words, but in a marriage context, more important, he says, is the fact that without words by behaving, and they say, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, you know, they will be, you know, attracted. It's when the word that he's using here is the fact that when he says purity, he's talking about your, you know, faithfulness, you know, because perhaps I'm not sure whether I agree with the one particular commentator, but he says it is possible in those contexts of marriage where you are married to a non-believer and your husband has no spiritual commitment, it's easy for women to be impressed by some men in the church in who are spiritually mature. And, uh, you know, not in terms of a physical relationship, but the possibility of looking at men with spiritual, you know, standing as more of an influence on their life. And there is a suspicion sometimes. I remember one of my saddest conversations I had was with my friend uh, in Netherlands, you know, where one of the uh, directors of a Christian organization in Netherlands. And, uh, you know, I knew him because of my work. And I was visiting Holland and uh, once with the, and he came to pick me up at the airport. And I asked him, you know, uh, how is your uh, work going on? You know, I asked him, how's your family? He said, CB, my wife and I are about to have, uh, you know, go through the divorce process. I said, what happened? You know, what happened? You know, he said, we had agreed as soon as our youngest, they had four children, I think, as soon as our youngest daughter goes into university, you know, because in their context, when you go into university, you also leave the home. And he said, uh, you know, as soon as we had agreed, as soon as she goes to the university, we will separate, we will divorce. I said, what happened? Why did you, uh, why did you agree to divorce? Why, why are you divorcing your wife? He said, um, only one reason. I said, what's the reason? My wife is in love with Jesus. I, I know that really shook me up, you know. I said, what do you mean love with Jesus? She said, you know, he, she had this experience of Jesus this man came from a Jewish background. He said a few years ago, five years ago, and after that man, she is always in prayer meeting and church meeting and prayer meeting and church meeting. And uh, I don't think he, she loves me anymore. You know, and so we had agreed that with this newfound love that she had, that's high time that we quit. And I think after a few months, he divorced his wife or they both agreed to divorce. And uh, of course, after that, he retired from the organization also. He was, and uh, I felt very sad when he said, you know, I said, what is the reason for the divorce? He said, my wife loves Jesus. Now I found it very difficult to accept it because, but the problem is it can be true sometimes in some, uh, not just it's not a problem with the wife alone. Sometimes it is also a problem with the husband, you know, going overboard about our spiritual uh, commitment to that extent 
that the spouse feels that there are other influences in the life of the person. So this Bible commentator says, Peter's emphasis is that wives would win their husbands over by their purity. You know, that they are not suspicious about their influence, others influencing them, especially other men. And reverence uh, in, of your life, you know, and also a reverence. It's not talking about reverence like you fall at the feet and touch the feet of your husband. But it is something in which there is an honor. You know, you, you teach, you treat your spouse with reverence. Peter later on talks about husbands treating the wives with respect. And some of the saddest experiences that I have observed is when husbands and wives don't have respect for each other. And it's sad even in public places. And sometimes I had to, I was very troubled. Selena and I have talked about certain couple and the, you know, the words that they use in public where they pull the other down. And it's very clear. And then once we were talking to somebody and they said, no, see, that's how we do. We are in love with each other. Now, I think very important is that love has respect in it. You don't belittle the other. And here what Peter was saying is you be by your behavior of reverence of your lives. And then he says about perhaps, in a, you know, maybe this passage is also misunderstood when Peter talks about your beauty. Now, Peter was not against elaborate hairstyles and outward adornment, wearing of gold jewels and fine clothes, because there are some groups in the Christian faith which have taken this verse to mean that if you are really a godly person, you don't wear gold, you don't wear uh, jewelry, and also you don't adorn yourself you know, uh, properly, you know, with uh, fine clothes and uh, elaborate hairstyles. Now, perhaps, you know, you know, we must understand in the context there that it was not, it was basically trying to impress their spouse with the fact that they were trying to influence their behavior by physical adornment. Now, Peter is saying, if you think you're going to win your husband over with words and by your adornment on your beauty, on your hair and your looks, he says, you know, it is not going to be possible because, you know, very soon you will find you are not going to keep your spouse by just trying to impress them with words or by looks. It is behavior that eventually influences people. And Peter's strong emphasis, because I know that, you know, in, I was once in Kerala traveling to from, uh, you know, if those of us who have been to Kerala will know, there are huge uh, billboards with, uh, you know, advertisements for gold jewelry. You know, I, some, some company would have advertised and it's picture of women with gold all over, you know, their neck is so heavy with gold jewelry. You know, those are the pictures you see. And I was going from, I think, Kotem to a place further. I was going by this vehicle and there was miles of this billboards of jewelry. And then I came to a place where there were no jewelry advertisement. 
at all for a long time. There was no jewelry advertised. And I asked someone and they said, this is the area which is called Kuttanad in Kerala, where all the Pentecostals are. And Pentecostals don't wear gold jewelry. So they, they are all, uh, you know, they, they, they don't believe, Pentecostals don't believe, they believe that gold jewelry is not consistent with their religious faith. But then I realized, then as we were going, they said, ah, the houses there were huge houses. You know, compared to the earlier places where we were going past, this area, houses were very, very big, rich families. And uh, then they also told me that most of every house in that Kutunad area, somebody is in the US, you know, either in the Gulf or US. Almost every family there lives in the US, you know, and uh, they've all gone settled there and they've sent their money, their old parents may be living here. Man, it is one of the rich areas, but no, no gold jewels. Now you find a contradiction, you know, they don't wear gold jewelry, but man, if they want to, they go for wealth, you know, it's land and house and property. Now there can be a contradiction because you may not be wearing gold in appearance, but definitely you are pursuing after riches. Now that is not what John Peter was talking about. Peter was talking about, you know, where you think your physical appearance, investing in looks is going to win your husband over. Now it doesn't mean that uh, you should not wear good clothes. And definitely, you know, it's very important to look good. But he was not saying that by looking good, it is wrong, but definitely it has no value in influencing. In fact, he says, this is great, you know, your, instead what he said is, earlier he said, your purity, your reverence, and then he says here in verse four, the un, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, it doesn't mean again, that Peter is saying that you should be quiet at home and therefore, you know, women should not talk. But it's talking about the attitude where, you know, you think you're going to win your husband over with arguments and screaming and shouting. I remember once I was, Selena and I were counseling a family. They called us and said, we are going through a difficult time. And when we went to talk there, you know, the husband said, you know, my wife gets angry and she throws vessels at me from the kitchen. Now, I thought it was only men who are uh, domestic violence, but in this case, the man, and then uh, another case we were counseling and the husband was showing, you know, how the wife beat him up, you know? And so basically what, he, what Peter is saying is that, you know, you need to be, if you want to win your spouse over, your attitude is very important, gentle and quiet spirit. Don't push your way through. You try to, you know, try to overpower, you know, with your arguments and ways of doing things. But it says in God's eyesight, this is of great worth, the inner self. And so very important to understand that in family, what strengthens a family is not, we may get into marriage because we fall for, we like the outer appearance. But the sustenance of a good marriage is the inner self of both the husband and the wife. And again, 
Paul writing to the husbands would say, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it's again an activity of the inner self. So that is why I always encourage couples. And Selena and I over the years have ensured that the deeper our relationship with God, the stronger our marriages. You can't rely on the spouse's relationship, but each of us have to have that inner self being developed. And so Peter would say, you know, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. He gives an example of women of the past. Now, I'm not sure who he refers to, but there are quite a few women like that, like Anna was there in the scripture. Then Jacob's wife, uh, you know, uh, is Jacob's wife, which oh, Rachel was there. And so you find these are women of whose names are given in the scripture, who were people who adorned themselves and put their hope in God. That is, despite the difficult situation they were in, they continued, you know, some of them had a very difficult marriage, but they continued to hope in God and actually adorn themselves in the inner person. And then he gives one example. Now, this example which Peter Gay gives is, uh, you know, it's an it's a interesting example. He says, they subjected themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. And so now we have a very interesting reference that he's using. He's talking about Sarah, who obeyed Abraham. Now, the picture of Abraham, Sarah in the Old Testament is not, you know, she did obey. And I think difficult obedience, because when they went into a new town, they were a young couple married, uh, you know, just a few years ago, but now they were, uh, you know, on the road. And when they went into a new place, Abraham told her, that, you know, the ruler of this place, in case they come and ask you because you're looking so good, they ask you who you are, tell them that you are my sister because Abraham wanted to save his skin. And uh, that's what happened when they came and asked and Sarah said she was Abraham's sister. They took Sarah and went off. They would not have taken her if she had told she was his wife. But he, he told her to say that it is she is his wife, a sister, his sister. And then what happened is that God, because God intervened, you know, Sarah was saved out of the situation. And uh, sometimes husbands, to save their skin, may make demands which sound, you know, which are foolish. And uh, God intervened. And uh, I think afterwards, Abraham learned his lesson. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we find such situations also where wives are made to do something which in uh, reluctantly perhaps they obey. But the picture of Sarah is not somebody who always obeys Abraham. But there are times when Abraham obeyed Sarah. You know, the case when he had to have a relationship with the slave woman and they had a child and it was Sarah's suggestion. And later on, Sarah is the one who said, throw this family out of the house and Abraham had to do it. So you don't get a picture of somebody who actually uh, obeyed Abraham, but also had her own opinions. But Sarah is called as somebody who, you know, come, subjected herself to her husband. Now, I think there, there is the picture here of somebody who did not listen. 
Now, I'm not saying that God is approving it, but the example that Peter was using is that women of the past, like Sarah, submit, submitted themselves to their husband. You know, they were people who were listening to their husbands. And so it, it, it's basically saying that in a family structure, God has made it in such a way. Paul say, husband is the head of the house. Now, again, the picture of the head of the house is not like, you know, the prime minister of India, especially where you just listen to everything and you don't question. There's a lot of conversation that takes place. And he says, and then he says this, you are her daughters. That means you have, you follow in the tradition of Sarah. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now that is a very important statement because while the Bible talks about wives being subject to husbands, it also says that they do not give way to what is to fear. Because many times the husbands may ask them to do things which are not right. And one of the sad stories in the Bible is the, in the book of Acts, when you have Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell their property and give the money not all of it, but some of it to the church. And Peter very specifically asked Ananias, is this the amount you got? And he said, that is what they got. And, God, and the Holy Spirit stuck Ananias dead. And then afterwards, Sapphira came in and he asked again to her, is this the amount to you got? And she agreed. And they both agreed together to lie against the Holy Spirit. And so she also was stuck dead. And the sad part is that it is understood that Sapphira agreed with their husband to lie to the Holy Spirit. And here Peter would say, don't do anything out of fear and don't do anything which is wrong. So while it is true that wives submit to their husband, there is a limit. If it violates the requirements of God and it is wrong, and you are acting out of fear, then it is not something that is acceptable to God. Now, let me finish with the last section. Now, sometimes you may wonder why there were a six verses for the wife and only one, two verses for the husband, or only one verse. Now, there is no explanation because if you look at Ephesians chapter five, it's the other way around. The whole first section has to do with the husband and there's only one verse for the wife. So it's nothing to do with, uh, you know, what the particular emphasis, but the words which are given to the husband is very strong. Again, husbands in the same way, in that attitude of mutual submission, where you are committed to the good of the other, and of whether you're a wife committing to the husband or the husband committing to the wife, the intention is the same. The wives commit to their non-believing husbands in order to win them over to Christ. And husbands in the same way submit. And Peter Paul would say, so that you can, Christ loves the church so that she can present her without blemish. We are interested in the good of the other. And husbands in the same way, he says, be considerate. Be considerate, you know, walk, you know, understanding your spouse as you live with your wife, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Let me stop here. When it says weaker partner, it doesn't mean that the wife is emotionally and spiritually weak. 
because sometimes we can act as though the wife is not uh, you know intelligent enough that's not what the bible says because in genesis chapter 1 when god created the woman he took somebody who he says to be the helpmate and the word used is like you know uh, the similar to god is your helper so it was nothing to say that the wife was actually mentally or emotionally or spiritually less mature than the husband but what it says here is that physically there are things that women may not be able to do now i'm not saying all women i know there are some women who are very strong and you have wives husbands who sit at home and do nothing and the woman does all the work you know and uh, I, but the biblical understanding is that women are created in such a way that the man may be physically capable of doing a lot of things which women may not and so he says treat them with respect because sometimes the fact that the women are not strong enough to do may mean that the husband does not respect them also and be considerate be respect be respectful and treat them with respect and as heirs of the gracious gift of life as of the eternal life that god has given because as far as god is concerned the woman and the man the husband and the wife are equally you know heirs of god's eternal life one is not superior you may have come to christ earlier than the other but both are people who are going to inherit the gracious gift of this of life and then he concludes by saying so that then this is the only place where there is a you know a kind of a, not a blessing a condition treat your wife cons- with consideration treat them with respect and as heirs of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers and i always say tell husbands when you feel that god is not answering your prayers check your relationship with your wife you know maybe because the way you treat your wife god has stopped to listening to you because it says so that nothing will hinder your prayers now there's no other place where there is a condition like that for prayers being answered and uh, very important for us to understand if you anyone you know whether single or married as husbands if you want god to hear your prayer you should make sure your relationship with your wives your relationship at home is that which brings glory to god because that is how god expects us to run a home so let me stop now and you know so in conclusion basically what we are saying is this characteristic of submission is not something that is oppressive it is in the context of both husband and wife wanting the best for each other wives who want to win their husbands over and husbands who want to treat their wives as co-heirs of the eternal life without respect there is no submission and but sometimes what happens is we are in homes where the spouse may not be at the same page on the same page and that does not mean that we are allowed or permitted not to submit because submission is very important in running our homes so basically that's what we've seen and uh, you know we you know the next section of peter is from 
verse 8 onwards is largely about suffering. And uh, so whether it is in the context of the state or in the context of slaves and masters or in the context of home, even with good submission, there are situations where it is very painful submission because there is a lot of suffering in the world in which we live. taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.